We are over in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Now last week we were looking at Peter walking on the water. We saw that as long as he stayed within the borders of what he was supposed to do, what did he do? He walked on water. As soon as he left the borders of what he was supposed to do, what happened? He began to sink. Someone pointed out to me that either you're on the water or you're in the water. <laughs> but apparently, if you have the ability to walk on the water, you can slowly sink into the water. I don't know how that, that is, but I don't know how people walk on the water either. So. so we saw that there were some boundaries we saw with this. The first off, considering anything else except what Jesus said, that is outside the boundaries. And Jesus didn't give them a whole lot. What did he give them? He just said, come. If we looked at anything but what Jesus said, that's outside of our boundaries. If we are doubting anything that Jesus said that is outside of our boundaries, and if we are adding to anything that Jesus said, that also is outside of our boundaries. So this, according to Jesus, is putting faith into the doubting arena. Because when Peter started, he was in faith. Jesus said, he said, little faith, but he was in faith. He said, why did you doubt? Faith is staying in the arena of looking and listening to Jesus only. When we stop doing this, we have left the arena of faith. Now, how many of you folks are reading with us chapter a day, five days a week? All right, we've got a few people out there that are doing it. If you're not, pick it up. Just just start to, just start tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll have a, a brand new chapter. We're going to be starting Galatians. Just start. Don't worry about catching up. <laughs> Just get us all on the same page and, and then just we'll just read together. But if you were reading on Friday, and I just, I just share this because I want you to see how to look at the Word of God and read the Word of God with borders in mind, with boundaries in mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, it reads this way, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if you understand boundaries the way that you need to, you would not be able to read that verse without seeing that you were just given some boundaries. And what would happen if you stayed within them? He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be come Complete. In other words, you are not yet to this state, but get there. Some uh, translations say perfect, but the word there for, that is translated perfect or complete is the word that means uh, you are, there are some things that are lacking in you and keep adding to them. How many of you know no matter what it is that you do, you can always get better at it? There's always something that you can add. And so you're always looking, how can I add that extra, extra bit? So you're studying the Word of God to find out what is it that I lack that I need. He says, become complete. Every day, I need to be looking out for what can I do to add to my love walk. It's been talked about so far here today. What can I do to be adding to, to my faith? What can I be doing to adding to whatever it is that I have going on so that I can become even better? Become complete. That's the first thing he says. That's got to be my mindset. Be of good comfort. This word here for comfort is the same word as used of the Holy Spirit when he says he comes alongside to comfort us. When it says be of good comfort... You need to be the type of person that people can rely on for comfort. That when they say, man, I'm down, I think I'll call so-and-so. 
You do not want to be one of those people that says, well, I'm down. Man, I gotta, I cannot take this person's call. <laughs> you are not a person of good comfort. He says, be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot going on. It tries to get us all to be different mind. Well, I'm of, I'm of this and I'm of that and I think this way and I like this and we're trying to get us all diversified and, and whatever. But he says, be of one mind. Resist those things to try and separate you. He says, live in peace. Some people just don't know how to live in peace. They're just always picking fights and, and causing problems and uproars and bickering and backstabbing and gossiping. He says, live in peace. So here's your borders. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Have you ever gone and prayed, oh God, I need more peace in my life. Ridiculous prayer, quit praying it. All you got to do is live the way the Bible says and it'll be the yours. You'll have it. Oh God, I need to love better. Just walk in the things of God and the God of love and peace will be with you. Then he, he puts in there, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now people debated, you know, what that's supposed to be. We're supposed to come into church and be kissing everybody. And... <laughs> Well, whether it's a hug, a kiss, or whatever it might be, but come and, and be friendly. At least be friendly. Sometimes, you know, we come and we see somebody, oh, I don't want to talk to sister so-and-so today. So that's not walking that way. So that's just looking at one passage. But if you get this idea of boundaries in you, every time you read the Word of God, you're going to say, oh, it's giving me some boundaries. I can operate in this area. And if I operate in this area, this is what it says is mine. Now, the enemy is always going to try and get you to operate outside of that area. Because he's not content with you once you learn your boundaries and stay within those boundaries. He's going to say, no, don't be of good comfort. Those people, they cause their own problem. Go out there and straighten them up. But that's not always what it's called for. You don't always have the relationship with that person to be able to do so. So anyway, just wanted to take that little, little bit on because on uh, Friday we finished Second Corinthians. Monday we start up with Galatians. If you haven't been reading along with us, just forget all the other ones. Just start off with Galatians chapter one here on Monday. One chapter a day, five days a week. If you miss a day during the week, pick it up on the weekend. It's not overbearing. And in the course of one year, you will read through the New Testament. Now, if you're wondering why we, we don't go to the Old Testament, if you want to do the Old Testament, go do it on your own. Nothing's stopping you from reading two chapters a, week, a day. But Brother Hagin used to teach us, he said, um, he said, you know, he, he studied the whole Bible, and I love studying the whole Bible. I love the Old Testament, I love the New Testament. But he said, we live in the New Testament. He said, you should spend most of your time in the New Testament. And he said, specifically, and this is tell you, he's talking about himself, he said, I spend most of my time in the epistles. Because those are written to the church. He said, if you go to my Bible, you'll see that all the gold on the, on the, on the side, cause, you know, back when I was going to school, we didn't have digital Bibles. Only thing you had was, was a, was a physical one you carried. We didn't have verses up on the screen and all that other stuff. You just had to open your Bible. And so, you know, the, the gold would get worn out on the pages. And so he'd say, you can come up here and take a look at my Bible and you'll see all the gold in the epistles is worn out more than the gold in the other spots. Cause that's where he spent most of his time. Time study. So, Old Testament is good. And we spend time in the Old Testament and the New Testament because there's things to learn from both.
But over in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to go all the way back to verse 1. What we want to get to is, is uh, a little further down in here. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now their approach had a bad motive and a bad attitude. It said they came testing him. If you're going to come testing to somebody, you've got a bad motive. Your motive is not pure. I'm, I'm saying one thing, but that's not what I mean. I'm saying, show me a sign so we can believe in you. But I'm saying, you can't show me a sign. I'm going to prove her, but they shouldn't believe in you. So the motive was, was off. They had a bad motive. Beside that, they had a bad attitude. You can pick up a bad attitude before people even talk, can't you? When these two things become corrupted in our life, I will always produce or be open to receiving something off or even completely false. Keep your motive right. Keep your attitude right. You may not have all your doctrine right yet, but if you keep your motive right and your attitude right, it'll help you out a whole lot. I know people who know the Word of God real, real well, but they let their attitude get wrong. I'll tell you what, it messes everything. And you're going to see in this how much it can mess with us. If you come into the discussion with a selfish motive, and the pride of one who thinks they are right, it's going to be really tough to get the truth to you. Because you already know it. I think I'm right. And if God has another view, what's going to happen? I'm not going to hear it. Now Jesus leaves these people feeling absolutely no obligation to correct them, teach them, or give them any other revelation. He just walked away from them. But he turns and gives a warning to his disciples. They're the ones that he talks with. Now know this, we tend to hear things. Well, let's, let's read this verse of scripture here first. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Now he gave them, he gave them revelation. He gave them something. It wasn't a real deep one. He said, beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they heard it in such a way as we didn't bring bread. We tend to hear things based on what our mind and our spirit are focused on. That's how it'll go. We're supposed to focus first off on the things of God, the kingdom of God. We're never supposed to focus on the things of other people and then things that pertain to us. But generally, we mix that up. We focus on things for ourselves. And then God and others will, will fall in someplace else. Now, I'll, I'll tell it to you this way. If you are of the impression and think yourself to be ugly. Don't raise your hand if you think that. But if you think, man, I'm ugly. Most of us at some point in our life probably have thought, I'm not the best looking. I'm kind of ugly. And, and when we think that, then everybody around us thinks that too. And if they make a comment, we hear it, I'm ugly. They didn't mean it that way, 
They weren't thinking that way. But see, that's my focus. My focus is, I'm ugly. And so no matter what it is that I hear, I'm thinking, well, they, they think I'm ugly too. Or sometimes people will give us a look. I saw the way they looked at me. They, they think I'm ugly. Now, they probably weren't thinking that at all. But you see, it messes with me. If I allow my focus to get away from what the Word of God has to say, from what the Word of God says is its picture of me, then I will misinterpret every look, every statement, everything said. I'm going to hear it in light of what I'm feeling are my failures, my shortcomings. Now, if you read in your bulletin, you saw that we had that class coming up in him. My wife is going to be teaching this class. And uh, this, the whole class is just to focus on what the Scripture says about us being in him, in Christ. And every time we see those, those uh, words in the scriptures, it's teaching us something. We are complete in Him. A number of different things that it promises you. Because we need to have the view of what I am in Him. The enemy wants you to have a different view. Because if he can get you to focus on other things, then even when you hear spiritual truth, you'll hear it in a wrong way. Just like the disciples did. They heard a spiritual truth. wasn't even a deep spiritual truth. wasn't a great spiritual truth. It's just a spiritual truth. And they heard it. Well, we forgot to take bread. He's exhorting us. There's a lot of times people think that someone's exhorting them and they're not. They weren't even thinking about anything along with them. But because they're so focused on something that's in their life that's wrong, that they feel is wrong, they feel isn't where it should be, that everybody's talking about it and everybody sees it. But he said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. He doesn't say no faith. He says little faith. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now leaven represented things that were, were evil had, had always represented that in the Old Testament. They went through a whole ceremony when they were getting ready for the Passover of purging the house of leaven. Because during the rest of the year they would have leaven or, you know, uh, uh, things that would puff up your, your bread and, and make it bread-like. <laughs> so they, they would go on through and they would uh, clean the house. And actually, from the, what I've heard from the, the, the Jewish families that I know, what they would do is the entire family, mom and children, would go through the house and they would clean everything. You talk about spring cleaning. I mean, they cleaned every nook, every cranny, every place in the house. They got every crumb out of the house because any crumb could be bread, which would be leaven, and it had to go. And so they would clean it all up. And then what would happen was they would leave a little bit of dirt somewhere in the house. Just a little bit of dirt somewhere in the house. And then dad would come home. And then dad would purge the house of the, of the dirt, the final dirt. He would go around the house until he found the small pile of dirt that they had left for him. And he would clean that up and he would declare the house clean. Now, all the rest of the family did all the work. He came in and swept that little bit up. But then he would come in, he'd declare the house clean. He's the head of the household, he's cleaned the house. And, uh, and that would be done. And this is what they would do to purge the whole house of leaven. So they understood leaven is bad, we need to get rid of it. So he's saying, if you just get a little leaven, 
is going to permeate the entire loaf. So they understood, this is the language they, they spoke because they were still doing the Passover feast and they would still go on through and they would still clean the whole house before Passover and get rid of every crumb. Everything had to go. They couldn't have any of that in the house and it would be gone. And they would have the, the feast, of course, with unleavened bread, kind of like crackers. Well, it's important that we understand what the Word of God says to us because if we don't understand what the Word of God says, wrong stuff can get in. we got to press in to understand. See, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying and a wrong thing got in. He's talking about us not bringing bread because they didn't have the understanding of what Jesus said. Get the understanding. That's important. I put a couple of verses in your outline for you. In Daniel 8, chapter 15, Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. He saw the vision. Just because he saw the vision didn't mean he understood it. He pressed in to seek the meaning. In chapter 10, verse 12, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. He set his heart to understand. We've got to set our heart to understand the things of the Word of God. Not just read over casually and just say, well, I, well, I'm not sure what that means. No, you press in. We need to be growing and understanding on a regular basis. Pressing in and finding those things out. So then they understood. Then their eyes were open and they understood what Jesus was saying. Now I put this in your outline for you. Assumptions and presumptions come without much or even any understanding. Assumptions and presumptions come without much or even any understanding. There are a lot of people who have assumptions of the word or have made presumptions and I can come to those without understanding the thing of the word. But there are assumptions and there are presumptions. But that doesn't mean that they're right. But if you try and tell somebody who's made assumptions that they're wrong, how well does that go? doesn't go so well, do it? They They know. That's not such a good place to be. Now, I hope you get this. I've given you this before. So I want to make sure you got it again. Great revelation with weak understanding will produce foolish conclusions. Great revelation with weak understanding will produce foolish conclusions. Think of the some of the, the great men and women of the faith who have uh, just tremendous things going on in their life, tremendous understanding of the word, and many people can sit in the meetings and one person can come out and understand great things and go on and do great things in the kingdom of God. Another person come out and go off and do weird things. They both got the great revelation. But see, without that understanding, with a weak understanding, we produce foolish conclusions. Don't blame the great revelation. Just like Daniel. Daniel had some great revelations that he was given, but he pressed in to find out the meaning of it. You may have some great understanding you're sitting on, but you haven't pressed in to find out the meaning of it yet. You're not pressing in on it. You're just letting it sit there. Psalm chapter 
119.104. Therefore, uh, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. When you grow into the understanding of the things of God, when you see what is false, it will just burn inside of you. You will despise what you see as false. Proverbs 4, 5, and 7. 5 through 7. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Brother Creflo Dollar makes that very popular. He says that often. In all you're getting, get understanding. It's one of the most important things you can get. Understand the wisdom of God. Understand the revelations that he's given you. One more, Proverbs 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to understand is to be chosen rather than silver. Now, the source here that Jesus is talking about would be false doctrine. When he's talking about leaven, he's talking about the source of false doctrine. That the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who were religious leaders, had false doctrine all through what they were teaching. And he said, beware of it. Don't get that in. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now understand this, when God has something going on, there will be all kinds of opinions about what it is. Now God's doing it. God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly what it is. But you will hear all sorts of people using the name of God saying, well, this is John the Baptist. He's come back. Well, this is a prophet. Well, this is Elijah. And they would come out with ideas that they feel they've gotten from God. Who do men say that I am? Which men is he talking about? Is he talking about Gentiles? He's talking about the Jewish people. When you're out there amongst the Jewish people, these are the people of God. Who do they say that I, the Son of Man, am? I've been in their midst. I've been teaching. I've been doing miracles. They've been seeing all these things going on. Who are they saying that I am? And they didn't have to, th- they didn't have to say, well, let's go find out. They didn't have to go take a poll. They knew right off the bat. So this means there were some conversations that had gone on with the disciples, where they had been out in restaurants or uh, out in the, the city square, and uh, here's a couple of people over there talking. Have you seen this Jesus guy? Wow, the things that are going on in those meetings. Who do you think he is? Oh, I think he's Elijah. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And so they're here in these conversations. This is what's going on. People are having this, this stuff going on. They're wrong. They're completely wrong. He is not John the Baptist come back. He is not Elijah. And he's not some prophet of old. He's not Jeremiah. I don't know where Jeremiah comes from. There's no promise about him coming back. Elijah there was. I don't see anything about Jeremiah coming back. So who do men say that I am? So they come right out with it. This is what they say. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
So even though other people have this opinion, Peter, and probably some of the other disciples too, had the opinion, no, you're Messiah. You're the one we're waiting for. It's sometimes hard to have an opinion that most people don't hold. And people in the world generally don't tolerate opinions that are different from theirs. Especially when they are line up with the Word of God. The more closely you line up with the Word of God, the more opposition you will get. When you say Jesus is the only way, you'll get a lot of opposition. When you say Jesus is a way, you won't get as much. The closer you get to the Word of God, the more opposition you'll have. Jesus promises. He said, with the Word will come persecutions. So just know it will come. But it's far better to stand with God than it is not to. So he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you didn't just figure this out on your own. In your spirit, my Father spoke to you and revealed to you that this is how it was. Now, see, when God speaks something to you and it's revealed in your spirit, you are much more equipped to stand up against people who don't believe the same way you are. You're you're, you're better equipped for it. If you just figure something out, you're probably not as willing to, to die for that. But when God down in your spirit has revealed this to you, then you will. Each one of these disciples died for their faith. Except for John, and they tried to kill him. It just didn't succeed. So they put him on the island of Patmos. Since they couldn't kill him, they isolated him. So he goes on, Jesus goes on, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now there's people who have come off with a false doctrine that Jesus was building the church on Peter. And that's not what he said. If you get into the Greek, he said, now you are you are, and I, I should have looked it up, I forget which one, but the two words were Petra and Petros. One means little rock, and the other means big rock. He says, you are Peter. You are little rock. But on this rock, on this big rock, I will build my church. Peter has nothing to do with it. Peter was not the, the first pope or the, the first uh, leader of the church. If you want to look at the first leader of the church, it was probably James. But he was only a leader at uh, certain parts of the church that was over by Jerusalem. If you go over to the church that was over by Antioch, they had different leaders. So he says, you are little rock, and on this big rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now that big rock is the confession that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Lord. That's the big rock. That's what the church is built on. It's not built on Peter. It's built on, on the fact that Jesus is, is the Christ. And if we go and we confess that Jesus Christ is Messiah, is our Savior, then we have promises in the Word of God for doing that. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, of course, to follow this, 
and some of the things that had gone on when Constantine legalized Christianity, they took a pope and they gave him keys. What people don't realize is that on those keys is a symbol from an, an old idolatrous worship. I'm not going to get into all that to, there today. But they passed those keys on from one pope to another and a symbol on the, on the keys is, a, is an idolatrous god. But that's what they try to do to, to um, fulfill this, this verse. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We've talked about binding and loosing before. We're not going to get into all that here now. But those keys belong to every believer. If we have the rock, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if we have that as our rock, then the keys are ours. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Now what Peter said was very powerful and what he said is what he said, Jesus said we're going to be building on. He called it a big rock. And what Peter spoke was what God revealed to him. So I put this in your outline, make sure you get it. We can speak powerful things when we speak what is revealed to us. When God reveals things to me and I speak them out of my mouth, they are powerful. They are keys that will lock and unlock. We, I'll just give you this little bit. People want to go around and say, I bind this and I loose that. And, you know, I'm not saying that anybody does that is, is, uh, heretics or anything like that. But you bind by what you do and you loose by what you do. And this is evident in other areas of scripture where I bind up forgiveness by my acts of unforgiveness. I loose forgiveness. I loose mercy by my acts of mercy, my acts of uh, forgiveness. But anyway, not going to get into that today. But look at what Jesus said here in John chapter 5 and verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So he only does what he sees the Father do. Of himself he can do nothing. If Jesus, the Son of God, can do nothing of himself, how much more powerless are we? But when we're attached. John chapter 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So he says what the Father tells him to say. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. These all come out of the Gospel of John. They're not just repeated or sound repeated things. One uh, Mark copies something, uh, writes about an event, and John writes about it. It's not that these are three separate times that Jesus said this. We'll probably figure that he also said this more times. But he's trying to get people to understand, even though he is the Son of God, he only did what his Father told him to do, showed him to do, and only spoke what the Father told him to say. This is why we're talking about in our borders, in our boundaries that we set up. You don't just say whatever you feel. You don't just do whatever you want. 
The Word of God has set boundaries for us. I don't just say, speak what I feel. I speak what the Word of God tells me to, to speak. Because when I speak what is revelation, what God has given me as revelation, it becomes powerful. And it will change things. Now what would happen if we limited our speech to only what we heard the Father say to us or what His Word instructed us to speak? What would happen? We don't do that. Our speech is not limited to what God has spoken to us. We speak all kinds of things. Because I think it. Because I feel it. Because I believe this to be so. God hasn't said anything to me about it. But this is what I, this is what I say. Now way back when we started this thing, I was telling you about what God told me to do on my particular borders just to get myself in the, in the area of running. I know most of you don't care about running. None of you really like it a whole lot. But you see, this is where I live. Right there in that area running. And um, you have other areas where you live. And God is going to speak to you. Yeah. Whatever it might be. Brother Al likes the bowl. God's going to speak to him about how he can do that better. <laughs> He's not going to speak to me about how I can bowl better. Because I don't bowl. But uh, you know, other people, they have other things that they, that they do and they, they can do and, and God will, will speak to that. But you see, when God told me what I needed to do and I gave you the mission and uh, to, this, to this day, still this week, I was out there, I was running and I said, dear God, I want to run more. And I do. I do. Oh, I want to run more. I want to go out there and I want to go for a nice 12, 15 mile run. Just... Just, just go. I just I go out there. Oh, just, I just want to. I want to. I want to go out in the two hundred two bypass, and I want to run the whole thing. I've done it. I just want to run the whole thing. But I'm giving borders, so I stay within those borders. That's what God said to do. That's where my that's where my strength is. And when I speak out, this is what God said to do. See, that's that's power for me. You can speak it out all you want to. It won't do a thing. Because God didn't reveal it to you. He revealed it to me. You can go out there and say, well, pastor said that if I run five, six miles a day, five days a week, throw some cycling in there, and I, I can do that. I've never been able to do that in my life. I'm going to go out there and do it. I'm going to grab hold of his word. <laughs> and I'm going to... See, that won't work for you. Maybe bringing you home on a stretcher. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's not a good idea to work off somebody else's revelation. Get your own. But see, you may say, I don't want to go out there and to, and to do all that. And that's all fine. You don't have to do it. But you know, but I'm chomping at the bit. But you see, I could, I could right now, I could go and I could go before God each day and get permission to run further. But I'm not working the mission. I got to stay working the mission. That's why we gave you those principles. Don't just look for permission to do something. Get the mission. And you stay with it. And the Word of God has given us missions. We talked about reconciliation last time. You have a mission to go out and share Jesus with other people. Not all of us choose to take it. But you see, that's your territory. You have a mission 
to lay hands on the sick. But not everybody will take it. You've got a lot of areas, a lot of borders that God has said this is yours. But not all of us are walking in those areas. Take the areas that are your borders. Now, when you were growing up and you were little, and then maybe you grew up and you had kids who did this. How many of you know when you were little or you had little kids, you would let them play on the driveway or the front yard or someplace where you could see them, right? We didn't just say, you know, three-year-old boy doesn't come up to mom and say, mom, I want to go down to the park. Mom says, no, <laughs> right? Little three-year-old boy is not going down to the park. That's, that's, that's not happening. Now, what happens is, is you uh, let them go outside and you let them play. Can, they, they'll say, can I go outside and play? Yeah, stay on the yard. How many have ever heard that in your life? Oh, yeah. Stay on the yard. Yeah, we heard that. How many of you did it? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody ever break that? We did, didn't we? And we paid the price for that. <laughs> Mom, Dad, they come out in the yard. We're not there. <laughs> Where'd you go? Well, I just... That's how it goes, right? Well, I just... Well, I saw... Well, so-and-so... We have the reasons for it. But what we, what we have established is that I cannot be trusted. Here's my, here's my area to go. And I, I didn't listen. If I am not going to listen to a border like that, then what's going to happen when I ask to expand it? Uh-uh. See, I first off, mom and dad have to learn that we can trust, trust me to stay in the yard. Got to trust this part first. And then after we do that, then, you know, we can go across the street. And mom, you know, mama's out there. She's watching you, making sure that you look both ways. And if she's seeing you're not looking both ways, you're not going to get any more freedom. But when she sees that you operate within the scope of things, and before you go running off somewhere, you come back in the house and say, Mom, can I go with so-and-so? And you say, yes. See, we're, we're establishing trust there. And so now freedom comes. And we get to, to go further and to go more and do more things. I told you the story about it. Um, I don't know, I haven't told it for a while. But when I was, um, when I was in school, in um, high school, they had... Uh, our school was, was light years ahead of every other school in the area of audiovisual. We blew every other school away. Upper Moreland. Go Upper Moreland. Go Bears. <laughs> I have no school spirit at all. <laughs> but as far as our AV department, we were, we were way above every other school in the area. There was no school that had what we had. They would send people from other schools to our school to learn what we had. We had, we would, uh, remember, remember those announcements they would do for the news? There were no announcements over the PA? Well, we didn't do that. We had newscasters. We had ladies that would, would come in and they would announce the news and we had cameramen and we had cameras and we had a special effect generator and we would fade from one camera to another camera and then we would do, do it was just like a news show. We had an intro. We had an ending. And we even went out there, we went over and above and then we went out and we got some funny things to put on the news uh, before the news would start to do all the announcements in the school. And how many of you remember that, that show, The Gong Show? Oh, yeah. Remember The Gong Show? Well, they had this guy who would come on. You remember The Unknown Comic? We actually videotaped unknown comic routines and put them on before the news show. So, and the kids loved it. 
they thought this was great. But uh, if you were in school long enough, long ago enough, you know how you had to have a, a, a movie projector? And the teacher would have to put in ahead of time for the movie projector, and they'd bring the movie projector out, and the reel-to-reel stuff, and they load it all up, and they would shine it up on the screen. We did not have to do any of that. Because we had a TV in each room so that they could all see the newscast. And if you, and if a teacher wanted a particular video, all they had to do was put the request down, and in the AV room, we would come in when our free periods were, and we would see who's, who's requested, and we had three closed circuit channels in the school. And we would break, uh, branch off for each uh, period that somebody requested one. And they would have channel whatever. And all they had to do was turn their TV to channel whatever. And at such and such a time that they had established, that video would come on. And so when we were in the ADV department, we would uh, be able to do things like uh, lunchtime. And once we finished lunch, we'd just flash our AV badge. And we'd walk down the hall, no hall pass, nothing. And just go right around out there to the AV room. And we'd sit in there and we'd uh, do whatever we wanted to do. We had total freedom. We could walk anywhere in the school. We had a, we had a pass. So the cool kids are in the AV room. Well, they didn't just do this, but they shot movies over the summer. They actually produced movies over the summer. They called, it was a place called Syndicate. It was right across the street from where the high school was, yeah, from where the high school was. I don't know if it's still there anymore, but uh, again, people would come actually from all over the country to come out to Syndicate and to uh, learn the principles of how to put movies together. And so this was going on. Now, I didn't get into that aspect of it, but I was into still photography, and so they would have me come over and shoot stills because for some reason they always like to have still photography going on when they were shooting the movies. And so I would go in there and I would shoot the stills, and then I was able, to, I was given access to the dark room, and I would go in the dark room and I would develop the, the film that we shot. And so I got into the idea of cameras, and um, I had an old camera, and decided I wanted to upgrade the camera, and so I saved up some money from where I was working. And I picked out the kind of camera that I wanted, and I picked out the place that I was going to get it from. Now remember, this is there's no Amazon, there's no online shopping. We don't have anything like that. You bought a photography magazine, you looked in the back, you looked at the ads, and you called up places, and that's how you did it. There's no websites to go to or anything like that. So that's what we did. And I found this particular camera store in New York City that had the camera I wanted at a at a good price. And the camera was a Yashica FR1. You can look that up and. And uh, whatever you want to do. And I wanted to upgrade it. I wanted to get the 1.2 lens. It was a faster lens. You could shoot in the dark more. And so um, I was going to go up there. I called them to make sure they had it. They did. And so I put in my pocket over $400 in cash. Got on the, walked down to the train station. I had permission from mom and dad. And walked down to the train station. Got on the train over there in Hatboro. And uh, took that down into Philly. Got on a train from Philly, went all the way up to New York, got into New York, hopped on the subway, and wandered over to the camera store, laid down my cash, bought the camera, carried the camera home in a bag, on the subway, over to the train station, back to the train station, back to Philly, Philly over to uh, Hapro, and then walked from Hapro on the, on the home. Now, I did that in high school. Now, not all moms and dads would have let their kids hop on a train with $400 worth of cash <laughs> into New York City. But I established enough, enough things, I guess, because I, I had my, my problems <laughs> following rules too. But I guess at that point I had followed enough rules and had done enough things that I was extending that, uh, that freedom. And uh, I was able to go out and to, and to do that. But you see, that kind of freedom isn't granted just because you want it. 
or just because you hit a certain age. That freedom is granted because you earn it. And we want God to extend our borders, but we don't want to be faithful in the borders that he's given us. We don't want to stay within the areas that he's... he's, We're always on the fringes. Can I go there? Can I go there? Can I do that? I'm not over here working where I'm supposed to work. I want to do this over here. Well, I know you said I can't have that, but... Well, I know all the trees are good for us to eat, but I want this one. (laughs) Because wherever the border is, we want to be on the other side. So what would happen if we limited our speech to only what we heard the Father say to us or what His Word instructed us to speak or to do? What would happen? How much much would this border change your conduct? See, there is a difference in speaking what is revealed to us before it is known than after than there is after everyone sees it. When Moses went into Egypt, he proclaimed the plague first, and then the plague happened. All water will turn to blood. Gnats will infest the land. Frogs will infest the land. Darkness will come upon. He he announced the plague first, and then it would come. What would happen if Moses, after darkness came upon Egypt, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Oh, by the way, God said it's going to be dark. What if after the frogs came on to Egypt, Moses goes to Pharaoh and said, Oh, by the way, God said these frogs were coming. You see, it doesn't have the same power, does it? When God speaks to you something, we need to get to the place where I will declare it before it's so. Because I have that much confidence in Him. See, that's where power is added to the the things that I say. God's revealed it to me, and I speak it. Before any of it has been seen. Moses with the water. Did he declare water from the rock before the water ever came from the rock? Didn't he declare manna was coming before manna ever fell? How about Elijah with the soldiers? Didn't Elijah say, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and burn you up? And then fire came down from heaven and burned the the soldiers up? He said it before it happened. Elisha and the Syrian army, did he not declare, let them be blind that they don't see? And they were blinded. They couldn't see that this this was Elisha. They couldn't see that he was going right into the the city of Samaria. Hey, but Peter dealing with Ananias and Sapphira. Didn't he declare beforehand? Before Ananias ever fell down dead, that he was going to fall down dead? When Sapphira came in, didn't he say before she fell down dead that she was going to fall down dead? And then she fell down dead? Sure did. Now the other source we saw in those verses, that was that was uh, false teaching, leaven. This one, the source here would be revealed light. This is light that has been revealed on the inside of you and you speak it out. Now here in this last one, I put called it luminous because it's not light, but it looks like it. Verse 20, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he, he was Jesus the Christ. Don't tell anybody about this. That has to be revealed, revealed to them, just like it was revealed to you. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, I don't know if you, you missed this, but when he was dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, no sign will be granted except for what? The sign Jonah. Now, what is the sign? Of Jonah. Well, later on we find out that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so too will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. That's the sign of Jonah. Now he says to them, no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. But he doesn't teach them about the sign of Jonah at all. And he doesn't teach his disciples that, the sign of Jonah, until they get the revelation that he's the Christ. And see, now he's teaching them about the sign of Jonah. That the Son of Man will be persecuted, beaten, killed, dead three days, and then raised. That's the sign of Jonah. Isn't it interesting that he mentioned the sign of Jonah to a group of people that he never taught the sign of Jonah too. But his disciples he did. So he taught them about the sign of Jonah. This is, this is deep stuff for them. We think of this as, well, yeah, that's what happened, but this is all new. So Jesus changed the way he taught them. But apparently, as he was teaching this, it didn't sit well with Peter. Have you ever heard somebody teach something that just didn't sit well with you? doesn't always mean it's their fault. See, just because you perceive a leader or a teacher to be doing or teaching something that's wrong doesn't mean it is. You've got to prove it by the Word. Don't just say that's not right. What's the Word of God say? And if you don't have the Word of God giving you direct um, light on it, shut up. That's what Peter should have done. But he didn't. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So this teaching that he's doing about dying, this, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling this, Jesus. This is, I'm just, I just, I'm not, I'm not there with you on this. It's not bearing witness with my spirit. Thank you, a little awfulness. He just confessed him to be Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. But he just needs a little correction. You know, he just gets off a little bit on some teaching here. You know, there are some things that God wants to teach us that are a little more advanced than where we are that would cause some of the same reaction in us. Now, he's not the only one. Do you remember that Daniel had some revelation given to him and it was so disruptive that he was sick for days. There's some stuff that Jesus can share with you about revelation that would so blow you out of the water that you could be down for the count. He doesn't give it to you. We're not ready to handle it. There's that line. You can't handle the truth. 
So Peter takes him aside. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Now he thinks that he's doing this under the inspiration of God. The man who had revelation that Jesus was the Christ thinks he's doing this under the inspiration of God. Far be it from you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Hmm. So he didn't take to this too well. He saw this as coming directly from Satan. Just because I have been open to great revelation from God does not mean that I cannot receive wrong revelation. And he's going to correct Jesus on this. It's not set right with me there. Not liking that. And Jesus is very clear with this. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Satan is not going to be mindful of the things of God. If we follow his inspiration, we are going to do things that are not mindful of the things of God. Now, if you um, go to Mark 8 and 33 and Luke 4 and 8, he didn't just say it to Peter, he rebuked him. It's a much stronger word that is used there. Now, the enemy's goal is to get our focus off the things of God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to get you off the focus of things of God on the focus of things of men. What Satan wants is different from what God wants. That's not revelation, is it? Wouldn't his revelations then lead you from the things of God? But look good enough to follow? This revelation that he fed to Peter looked good enough for Peter to follow. To pull Jesus aside, the Son of God, to pull him aside and correct him. Now, how many of you can see that Peter has outstepped his borders? <laughs> he, was already, he was operating within the, sc- the scope of where he's supposed to be at. And once he got that revelation, the border expanded and Jesus began to teach them things that he hadn't ta- taught them before. See, their border expanded. We can now encompass this. Your border didn't include that before. Now it does. Because you had that revelation, we can expand that in this area. And he began to teach them there, but that pushed them a little too much. These things can be real to you or to others around you. Things that look like God, but they're not. They can be revealed to you or to others around you. Now, can Jesus be tempted? Surely he can. What was that whole thing going on in the garden? There was a temptation to get him to focus on the things of men instead of the things of God. He said, Lord, not my way, but your way be done. In other words, I need to stay focused on the things of God. There was a temptation to get pulled from it. And Peter was being used by the devil to pull him in that direction. Now, speaking what God reveals is powerful. What then is speaking what Satan reveals? If I speak the things that Satan has revealed to me, Is there power to those? Folks, I'm going to tell you this. 
If there is no power in us speaking what Satan reveals, why does Jesus rebuke Peter so strongly? There's no power to it. Why doesn't he just ignore it? Oh, Peter. But he dealt with him strong. He rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan. Do not voice things revealed by anyone else than God. Don't do it. Oh, it'll cause you problems. That's going to get you outside of your borders. In James chapter 1, verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Be swift to hear. Listen. Slow to speak. Don't be, don't be quick to say what it is that you want to say. And slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Don't get into that area. See, this source would be false light. I thought it was light. Peter thought he had light from God and spoke it. Found out that was not light at all. Can you pull up that verse we, I gave you? One extra verse. You can write this one down if you want to in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So we have scripture on it. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. There's another case where disciples were going under an inspiration. See, the devil said, hey, Elijah called down fire. You called down fire. Yeah, we'll be people of faith. Lord, you want us to call down fire and burn them up? He says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. See, sometimes, folks, Christians, we don't know what manner of spirit we are. We've gotten outside of our borders. We've gone beyond where we're supposed to be. We don't have God's heart in it, but we're speaking things. Now, in this, uh, you know, no matter what it is that you, you get around, and just about any time of, you, you, you can find different opinions. You can find different political opinions. We can find different religious opinions. We had, uh, apparently, uh, the Methodist Church, I don't know if you heard this, they apparently were in such a uh, turmoil about same-sex marriages and about priests who were homosexuals that they just had a split. They just split the denomination up, and one part went to, uh, to accept this way, and another part went to not accept that way. That's, uh, that, that just uh, recently happened, I believe. Uh, but both people feel that they have the, the Spirit of God. This one group feels we have the Spirit of God to accept, and this one group says we have the Spirit of God not to. Well, one part's wrong. <laughs> you, you better be on the right side. See, I try to be careful on some of these things because if I just state some things that are my opinion, and I have opinions. I have some opinions that I don't necessarily know what God says on this thing. It's just my opinion. I try and keep them to myself. Because I don't need to be speaking those things. I may have them, and we may have a casual conversation. I may share some of those things. But um, I don't want to do that in relation to a, of a pastor. But, you know, when we get in this country, we have presidents. Uh, there's... The last couple of presidents, of uh, last two presidents, most, most specifically, have been very polling. One group is drawn to them, or one group is re- repulsed by them. And uh, 
in that, you know, when we had President Obama, we had Christians who were for and Christians who were against. And we have President Trump and we have Christians who are for and we have Christians who are against. And we have to be careful because I may have an opinion about a particular person, but if it's my opinion, it's not what God spoke to me, then I better be careful about voicing it. Now, we had a whole lot of things going on in these uh, last couple of weeks. On, 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 uh, there were people dying this week. How many of y'all know that? There were some people dying that were bad guys. Did y'all notice how much the press wrote about how terrible it was that our country went out and took out a terrorist? It's amazing how, si- how silent they were when President Obama took out, and there's a whole long list. There's a long list of ones he took out. Now, I never picked on President Obama for taking out terrorists. Never once. Never. You can go back on all the tapes, all the messages I've ever preached. Never once picked on him for doing that. Take out the bad guys that are killing people. But the same people who let all that go are now picking on this one. Because he took out one who had, uh, I mean, the, the, the slaughter rate on him was pretty high. He, he took out a lot, of, a lot of people. Not just Americans, people in his own country. Um, just, just all sorts of stuff. And then we had people who were talking about the, the church that was, was going on there. And they had, uh, you know, six seconds. Threat was neutralized, not before two people were dead. And that was, that was truly a shame. But I thank God that more and more churches are ready for that kind of thing coming on in. And I heard people, there was some discussion that went on. You know, should this, is, is God in that? Let me tell you what, folks. If anybody wants to come inside this church and to start shooting at any of you folks, they're going to be dropped. We will make sure of it. And I don't have to pray, pray or ask God about it. If they want to come in and kill other people, I know God's viewpoint on this. I don't have to wonder about it. What happened when a priest went into the Holy of Holies in a bad way? He's dead. What happened to a priest who decided that they were going to have a church service and they were going to act unbecomingly? They were dead. What happened to people when they came up against the children of Israel to kill them? They were dead. The Egyptian army wiped the whole group of them out because they wanted to come over and kill the, Egypt, the, the, the Israelites. Whole armies came up against the Israelites to wipe them out. What did God do? Dead. Killed them. Do I have to wonder that if someone comes into this church and wants to shoot people, do I have to seek after God? No. I know. God says, take them out. Because the word of God says, do not, does not say, thou shalt not kill. It says, thou shalt do no murder. That's the translation. Does not say, thou shalt not kill. Does not use the word for thou shalt not kill. Uses the word, thou shalt do no murder. And we will not murder anybody. But if you want to come into this church and you want to act up, we will take you down. Just know that. That's, I don't I even know why there's a debate on that. I, my wife was having some, uh, somebody came on with something that she put on some forum, I don't know, Pastor's Wives Forum or something like that. I'm not in, I'm not in on that. But <laughs> I'm not a pastor's wife. <laughs> but they were having some kind of debate about this thing going on in the church. And they were saying, no, you should just let them come in and shoot people. What? Uh, no. That would not happen. I felt terrible that about the two people who did die. I know one person drew the fire, drew the attention of the guy so that there was time for the people to react and, 
and that uh, uh, that he was put down before uh, before anyone else did. But one of the one of the person they actually he actually drew attention to himself so that other people weren't shot. And this all happened in six seconds. Mm. Amen. Well, we got people in place. I sent Keith a, a note on uh, one of the articles I did about the guy who uh, actually killed the shooter. And uh, I sent him a note. I said, uh, yeah, here's an article. It says, they, they have a Mr. Keith just like, just like we do. Because <laughs> this guy, he was retired uh, from uh, de- retired deputy. And he trained up the staff there at the church and took them out to, to have them go in the firing range so that they were all familiar with the thing and, and had the plan all put in place and, and everything is taken care of. Glory to God for Mr. Keith all over this country. <laughs> I am very glad for that. So what are the boundaries here? See, when we received what to us is revelation, it will produce in us a desire to act. If I understand that something I got is revelation, it's going to produce in me a desire to act. Peter had what in him felt like was revelation. Jesus shouldn't be teaching this. He felt like that was revelation. And so he got up and he, and he, he, he rebuked him. You gotta be, that's why I said you got to be careful. If you want to go speaking against different people, you better make sure you have the heart of God on it. Because if you're, if you're not, mm, it, isn't, it isn't good. It's not helpful. We re- when we receive what to us is revelation, it will produce in us a desire to act. So make sure that that revelation came from God. Because if you get a revelation from the evil one, it will also produce in you a desire to act. Just as it did Peter. So what are the boundaries here? Well, we've talked about a number of these things before, but how many of y'all have been tempted to speak poorly of church leaders? I bet you there's some people out there who are speaking poorly of that pastor of that church who had all those uh, folks in there to, uh, what was it, five, six guns, people with guns in the church? That I know of, anyway. I know that that pastor was spoken poorly of. Well, he operated in a way to protect his congregation. Apparently, it was well-founded. Yeah, but speaking poorly of other believers... Isn't that outside of our bounds? When I speak poorly of another believer, do I not feel that revelation that came to me about them is from God? But if it's not from God, if it's from Satan, I am speaking and giving life to something that came from the enemy. And if it came from the enemy, what's its purpose? To kill, to steal, or to destroy. And if I speak those things out, I'm giving life to his words. Don't do it. If I let a little leaven in, well, that's just a little false teaching. I, you know, this, this group's pretty good, but they got a little, little false teaching over here. Judging matters, I don't know. How many times have we been brought into a place where I want to judge something and I don't know the full thing? I've heard a lot of these situations. You know, the media, anytime the media is on the side, I almost instantly get on the other side. Whatever, whatever side they're on, if they don't like somebody, I sort of figure I probably ought to like them. I don't know them, but I probably ought to like them because they don't. Because they are the most ungodly group of people I've ever, I've ever seen. If that ungodly group of people does not like something or someone or some group, more than likely that group has some merit. 
Because they don't like them. If they're ungodly and they don't like something, guess what? Don't take me long to figure that out. Judging matters I don't know. The media is always wanting you to, to, they're going to give you the information they want to give and get you to judge. Well, I refuse to do that. They're going to give me some case about some shooting that went on and who the bad guy was. I don't believe them. Because they're not going to present it as truth. They're going to get me to judge a matter that I don't know. I'm not going to judge a matter I don't know. There's people around there to take care of that. I don't have to mess with it. Getting involved in what's not my business. I'm sure no one here has that problem. But I, I've gotten better at this even more so over the years. But if it's not my business, I want nothing to do with it. I just, I just don't care. Well, did you hear that so-and-so? I don't care. It, it, does it matter in their spiritual walk? Is it something I'm supposed to deal with as a pastor? Then I don't know. <laughs> no, don't, don't mess with it. Don't get involved. Word of God talks about people that are busybodies in other people's business. Don't be doing it. That's inspiration of the, the evil one. And it's just going to get you into trouble. Don't, don't mess with it. If you're going to get involved in somebody else's business, pull them aside, talk to them about it. Hey, you got a situation going on? Can I help out at all? Talk to them about it. Hear it from them. Don't hear what busybodies have to say about it. Go talk to them. But it may not be something for you to deal with. But sure, don't go passing off to anybody else. Don't go passing off gossip. That's not going to be helping you out. You see, there's borders that we have here. And if you operate within the borders that you got, life is good. Just stay within where you're supposed to be. This is where I'm, this is where I'm allowed to be. When you're driving on down the road, you got a border on your left and you got a border on your right. It's a yellow line on your left. That's a good border to obey. There's a white line on your right. That's a good border to obey. Don't we work to stay within the borders? And don't bad things happen when people get outside of those borders? And they cross lanes and they do... I mean, this doesn't always happen as bad, but bad things can happen when I cross over the yellow lane I'm on the wrong side. That's, a, that's not a good situation to be in. Stay within the borders. The enemy is going to try and pull you out. If God has said your faith is good to hear, I want to go to hear. Because if I overextend my faith, I'll fail. And the enemy loves that. You haven't gotten into the faith area yet in the extending above. We, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Time will come for that. There's a lot of people who believe things for God that they are not prepared to believe, and that's why they fail. What happens is that sometimes the devil gets them in such bondage that they feel like what they can believe God for is too little and too low and therefore not godly. So they stretch for something that they can't get to and some people die in the process. You don't need to do that. You don't need to ever extend your faith. Stay within the, the realm where you can be. Hey, this is, this is where I can be. We were, um, my wife and I were watching a movie the other night. How many like that movie, Hitch? I like that movie. Will Smith can make just about any movie good. Yeah, I enjoy him. A couple of his movies I, I didn't go see because not, not even Will Smith can make that good. 
That, that football movie with the concussion doctor, I couldn't go see that one. I, Will Smith is probably phenomenal in it, but I, I just couldn't go see it. So I didn't, I didn't see that one. But he was good in this one. Do you remember that scene where he's in there with the, uh, who's, who's, the um, who's the fat dude who's, who's trying to dance? I forget his name. Anyway, yeah, James somebody. He's funny. I, I, I enjoy him. But there, he's trying to teach him to dance. He's like, show me what you got. And he shows him what he's got. And he's all over the place. And he slaps him, you know. And, and he says, no, no, no. This is you. You live here. And he just gives him the simple dance move. I, I'm not going to try and do it because I'm not there. <laughs> he, was, he was beyond me. <laughs> You're here. You live here. And this is where you want him to stay, right? This is your border. This is where you want to stay. In here, things are good. And what happened when he got out on the dance floor? He went beyond his borders. And a picture was taken. He got himself in trouble. <laughs> Don't go beyond your borders. Stay within where God has told you. Because you see, if you operate within those borders, God expands it. Because when I can be trusted with a border here, I can be trusted with a border here. And when I can be trusted with a border here, that gets expanded more. How many of y'all know Moses' borders were a whole lot larger than Saul's? Because he could be trusted. David's borders were far greater than some of the other kings that came along. Because he could be trusted. God needs to see, can I trust you to speak the things that I say and not give voice to all these others? Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. And one of the greatest missions that we saw in the Word of God was the mission that Jesus was sent on. And God gave him specific borders as to what he had to do. He had to stay outside of the area of sin. He had to do the things that the Father said. He had to speak the things that he was told to speak. He was given areas to heal the sick, set free those that were in bondage, preach the gospel. He went over his mission. In fact, it was so that every time he went into a town, he read... He read his mission statement every time he went in. As his custom was, he turned the Bible to and he read. That was his custom. That's what he did. He let people know, this is my mission. And he stayed with that mission. And when he's in the garden, he said, God, you, you sent me on a mission. And I don't want to go outside those borders. I want to stay with what you want. Can we have the same determination that Jesus had? on his mission to stay within his borders and to do what the Father asked him to do. Abraham was entrusted with some very big borders. He was faithful. Jesus was entrusted with some very big borders and he was faithful. When I learn to be faithful in the borders that I have, God will expand them. the night that Jesus was betrayed before the supper he took the bread and he broke it he said this represents my body which is broken for you as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me because he knew that we would forget that Jesus was not only the one who came to forgive us our sins he was also the one who came to heal our bodies 
as we eat together, let's remember the body of Jesus Christ was broken for us. After supper, he took the cup and said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The blood is shed for you. You don't want to add things, do penance, anything like that. He has forgiven you. We just received the blood of Jesus. We are washed clean of our sins. Let's drink together and remember the work that Jesus did. Glory to God. Father, I thank you that your borders are not meant to be restrictive, but they're meant for safety. When we operate inside the place that you gave us to operate, we have success. The enemy knows this, so he's going to try and get us off of our areas where we're supposed to be and lead us into an area where we're not because then he can defeat us. But I thank you for the revelation that you give us. And just as Peter had that great revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are revelations that you have spoken to us that have power to change our life. Help us, Father, in our walk that we recognize those words that come from you and speak them and recognize those words that are not from you. And we don't give voice to those. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.